Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Sally Getch from WP Fangirl. That's at WPFangirl.com. Sally and I have a lot in common in terms of, uh, you know, kind of a liberal arts academic background, a uh, passion for WordPress and community, a commitment to teaching, uh, history, working with clients. There's a lot of fun topics we can get into on the show, and I'm excited to have a great conversation with you, Sally. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, there's a, you know, a tribe of course creators, membership site builders out there, people who want to hire people to do those things. And, you know, this show is designed to help them, uh, you know, shortcut that process and just understand our industry better, especially if they're doing the self-hosted route building on top of WordPress. I know I first came across you when we were just initially launching, you were running some kind of meetup comparing uh, WordPress LMS options in, uh, at, at your meetup. And I forget how we even found out about it, or maybe you found us. And I remember at that moment in time, many years ago, being like, I got to get, we got to get this person, Sally, a copy of what we do. Um, Cause you know, we need people like comparing stuff and, and checking out all the different tools out there. Can you, t- can you tell us a little bit about how you got into WordPress and like, What's this whole meetup thing you had going on? Okay, so I got into WordPress. You know, I, I discovered blogging in 2005 on, you know, a teleseminar. Remember those? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I looked on my, my website for, the, you know, their installer tool, whatever it was back in the day. And, um, you know, their blogging, they, they, they actually had B2 on there. Um, and uh, that was a little confusing for me. I, I started my first blog on Blogger, and but I discovered WordPress later that same year because I was listening to a bunch of podcasts, which I learned about on another teleseminar. Um, and the podcasters all used WordPress because of the PowerPress plugin uh, that set up enclosures in your uh, podcast feed. This was so long ago that iTunes didn't even do podcasts. Uh, and it was a very huge deal for all the podcasters when iTunes started to do podcasts. Uh, and so I just, you know, I, I started working with WordPress some, uh, and then uh, more over time. And once they created the ability to add pages, just the fact that whenever you added a page, it appeared on your menu and you didn't have to go in and edit every single page so that the menu was updated was like, yeah, we want more of this. Uh, in 2009, uh, it was February, 2000, it was probably January, I went to a, a WordPress meetup in San Francisco, which was where uh, Automatic was located. I'm, <clears throat> and um, they mentioned that there was a, a, an East Bay WordPress meetup. And so I went to that because it was closer to where I lived and ended up uh, becoming the co-organizer. I have... I, I, my husband talks about my tendency to, you know, take over anything I get involved with. And, but, you know, I, I had experience in running networking groups. So, you know, I had a lot of ideas about things and uh, the original organizer uh, absconded to uh, uh, Los Angeles where he was from and left me in charge. And that's pretty much the point at which WordPress started to eat my life. 
and my and my business because you know I learned more about it through the meetup. If I was leading the meetup, which I you know sometimes was, uh, or uh, then you know I had to learn stuff in order to teach it. And anybody who has a background in teaching knows that you really learn things best when you have to to teach them because you you have to not only be able to do them but understand how to do them. Uh, and uh, so uh, you know we meet every month on. Uh, usually the third Sunday, and try to cover a wide range of uh, topics uh, having to do with WordPress. And uh, how many people come to the meetup on average? It it varies a lot depending on the topic. So you know it might be ten or fifteen. It might be thirty. I think the most we had was maybe about fifty. There are more than a thousand people registered as meetup members so it, it you know you can see and 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 we have a you know a, a pretty high no-show rate uh, of people who sign up and that you know they don't change their rsvps but you know they don't come because it's raining or because it's sunny or because you know something came up with their family or or, or whatever i mean there was a period before we were being sponsored by the you know uh wordpress community foundation that uh, uh Hey, you know, we were charging for the for the meetup to to pay for the space we were using, and I did notice that when we started charging in advance, uh, even though it was only five dollars, uh, many more people would show up. Uh, uh, you know, out of those who who registered, um, and <clears throat> so uh, yeah, uh, you know, learning management systems was a thing that I decided to cover at the meetup because I needed to do a bunch of research on them for a client project. So I had put together this, uh, you know, kind of comparison of the different things I'd tested, which I remember, uh, you know, was LearnDash and Sensei from Woo and um, whatever that thing is that the WPMU dev people make that has sort of like, you know, it, 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 it had a, an easy to use interface, except actually ever retrieving the content from anywhere was pretty much impossible because of how it was set up. So it's like, nope, that's out because, you know, I need my classes, you know, my courses and my individual, you know, classes within the lessons within the course and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I need to be able to retrieve that and, and display it in, in custom loops or in widgets or, in, you know, elsewhere on, on the site. Uh, so, you know, we ended up going with, with Sensei for that and it had you know, the kind of the various issues that a lot of the Woo products have where they don't necessarily integrate beautifully with your theme unless you do something to tell it to take those wrappers off. So like suddenly your sidebar is on the bottom. And I know Woo has um, attempted to address that in their, in their latest version, but this was still mm, 2012, maybe 2013, something like that. Uh, so uh, that was definitely an, an, an issue. Uh, and um, like right after that meetup had been scheduled or right after we'd had it or something like that, I heard from you about this new or maybe from one of one of your friends. But, it, you know, somebody put me in touch with you about Lifter LMS and it sounded really good and it was sort of just too late. But you kindly gave me a copy. You know, I downloaded it. I installed it on a, a test site and, you know, took a it took a look at, at how it worked uh, and did not actually get a chance to use it on a client project until uh, 2017 when I had a, a client who asked me to build a, a course. I built a pretty wide range of, of websites with 
different kinds of additional functionality. So I have to, you know, know something about a lot of things, you know, something about e-commerce, something about event management, something about learning management systems, something about membership. Um, and, you know, perhaps one of these days I, I will actually, you know, settle into a niche, but I, I, I have an issue with, I, I don't want to do exactly the same thing every time. I, I really would get bored. And I, I know you can, you know, you can increase your, your efficiency and therefore your profit margin by turning out a whole bunch of things that, that are basically the same every time. And I would just die of boredom. Well, it sounds like, um, you enjoy the research part because like to do a meetup and like, okay, you're going to research and present on different tools is really cool. I noticed this in the LMS industry, membership site, uh, online course world, people who are looking to, you know, build out that project or, uh, and they're, they're going into the tool selection phase. They do a ton of research. The fact that you would like, have a local meetup. I mean, I think that's really cool because it like is short course cuts the learning curve for other people who are interested and you needed to do the research yourself. So why not be dual purpose and teach at the same well, time? Right. I mean, the thing is that if, if I've done this work anyway, then it's, you know, it's good to be able to, to share it with people. And, uh, you know, the meetup has been going uh, pretty much every month since, uh, at 2009, that that's a lot of topics to, to come up with and cover. And we repeat some of them frequently, you know, uh, topics like security or... Uh, I'm curious, you said sometimes you get 50 people. What are the big crowds coming for? The the bigger draws are usually anything related to earning money. Although it's, you know, I have this vivid mental picture of all these people like sitting on the floor at, at Tech Liminal 1.0. And I can't remember which meetup it was. I may have some photos or something that would, that would, that would help remind me it was... It's, some fairly large number of, of years ago, though, because I think they moved to Tech Limital 2.0 in like beginning of 2012. Um, but uh, so, you know, certain certain topics really draw people. Others, uh, uh, you know, are not as much. They're a little more uh, specialized, I would say. You know, uh, sometimes it's the more intro level stuff. Uh, or the uh, the new stuff. I mean, back when WordPress had you know fewer releases with more stuff in each release, we would have a meetup about you know the latest version of WordPress and what's in it and 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 how to use it. And you know we haven't so much the last uh, few years since they started that you know absolutely punishing you know three or four times a, a year release schedule uh, because there's usually less to to talk about. But we're having a meetup. Next month about Gutenberg, uh, which we already uh, was the focus of our uh, contributor day in August, where we all got together and tested it and submitted comments uh, and, and, you know, found bugs and so on. Uh, And so, you know, we we try to stay on top of things. A lot of the people in the group are professional developers or designers or site implementers or, you know, whatever you want to call it that, that, you know, building, doing, building stuff for other people with WordPress is, is part of their job. Uh, there's a fair number of people who come who are also, you know, maybe they're the one in their company who has, who works on the, the website or even they volunteer for a nonprofit and, and they got asked to do the website. And so, uh, you know, their focus is a little bit different. Uh, in terms of of their interest, and they often want to find out what they can do without writing uh, code. Uh, and you know, I try to to 
kind of mix up the topics between what is going to appeal to the people who have a high skill level and what is going to appeal to the people who don't have a high skill level, but hopefully not actually bore the people with the higher skill level. So, you know, there are some people who show up almost every time, uh, you know, I think partly because it's also a social event and, and, you know, we have a two hosting, you know, buying us pizza and uh, so on. And, and some people who just show up based on interest. That's cool. Well, how as a, you know, a teacher in PhD or almost PhD in classical studies, did you end up in technology? I'm, I'm also very interested because I came from anthropology and ended up in technology. What happened in your case? Okay. So I was always kind of a geek, you know, from the, the, the time I was in, you know, seventh grade math class and the teacher showed us the TRS-80. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was geeky about other things before then, astronomy, you know, geology. It, it's, um, <clears throat> so, you know, I've always been kind of uh, interested, but my specialty uh, as a classicist was ancient theater. Uh, and um, particularly ancient theater in modern performance. And as you can imagine, this is a visual sort of medium. And, it, and it, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I got online in 1985 uh, when I was in college, sitting in the basement of the computer center uh, at Brown University using the mainframe on BitNet Relay. Uh, because, you know, some friend of mine mentioned this and my God, you could talk to people who were like all around the world. Now they were all, practically everybody else there was, you know, at a computer school uh, at the time. And I was super popular simply for being female. It's not like you could transmit any images, right? They had no idea what I looked like, but, you know, but I was a girl. Um, uh, and uh, <clears throat> So, you know, I was interested in that kind of thing. I had some colleagues down in Australia who started a, a publication called Electronic Antiquity, and it was being published by FTP and Gopher. Uh, and I, 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 one of my more senior colleagues had suggested that, you know, somebody really needed to start it at a publication that like listed all of these, you know, performances of ancient theater around the world. So that kind of thing. And, and uh, one of my other colleagues nominated me because she knew I was geeky. Uh, and uh, I talked to the guys at Electronic Antiquity. And, and so in 2003, we launched this uh, journal by FTP and Gopher, and it contained listings and book reviews and theater reviews. And, you know, we were so ignorant and new to this stuff that we're like, well, it's online. It's, 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 it, it doesn't, it's free to build this. Right. You know, I mean, you know, th there are a number of people who joke that as an academic, you take a vow of poverty. It's kind of how it goes. You don't seem to think about your own time as something that is a, a you know, that is a cost or is, or is worth money. Uh, and I, I, eventually people realized that, you know, it's true. You don't have to pay for, you know, printing and shipping the way you would do if you were, were publishing a, a print journal but that doesn't mean there are actually no costs involved. And, you know, even though that, you know, the university was providing all the, the servers and the, the infrastructure of that kind, but, you know, people have to put work in. Um, so you were like blogging before blogging was a thing. Uh, sort of. I mean, I was publishing online. It was not yeah. a, you know, the first people who did like these handmade uh, text blogs really were kind of writing journals. And, and that wasn't the kind of thing I did. You know, this was a, we released it on a, on a schedule. 
Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, it had certain sections and I even found somebody who got us an ISSN, uh, and at, uh, toward the end of 1994, right before I left Michigan, um, somebody showed me the web and that was just like, you know, the universe opened up because, you know, you could send pictures. And even on the, you know, uh, grayscale, not terribly high resolution screens uh, 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 that we had in the department, um, because color screens were just barely becoming a thing and and they were very expensive and, you know, they didn't have very many colors either. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, it was like, yeah, the possibilities of that, because doing a, a theater performance review with pictures is much more compelling than doing one without. Uh, so uh, I, you know, took it on myself to learn something about that. And, and at um, the end of 1994, I moved to England. I spent four years at the University of Warwick. And pretty much as soon as I got there, it was like, we need to meet the people in computer services and find out about this stuff and how to, to uh, publish things and, uh, you know, moved the, the FTP stuff over from, from, you know, over to Warwick and, uh, you know, bought a teach yourself HTML uh, book and uh, figured out how to do that. And it was like, yeah, you know, transmitting a, a text file with HTML in it, it up onto the uh, Unix server and, uh, you know, using the command line here and there. Uh, uh, so it was very, you know, these, these were really the uphill both ways, barefoot in the snow days of, of building websites. Uh, but, you know, I, I never regretted doing that. So I had first, you know, gotten onto the web be- really because I was an academic. Uh, and when I had to which was the original purpose of the web outside of the military was to connect, you know, right. And you, I mean, universities were all hooked up long before yeah. uh, commercial, uh, you know, businesses of, of, of any kind were. Uh, and the kind of consumer type uh, online experiences, things like CompuServe and AOL uh, started off walled off from the actual internet. So, uh, you know, this, this was uh, 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 but yeah, I mean, a hypertext was kind of invented for footnotes, uh, and it's really great for that. Uh, and you know, if you've ever looked up a, a, a note, you know, on your Kindle, that's what's happening. Uh, and uh, so, but yeah, you know, linking to to other places and and so on. So yeah, that was how I got into building websites. I gotta, I gotta tell just a small story here. I was not as forward thinking of you in my um, senior anthropology thesis class. This is in 2001. <clears throat> uh, we, you know, we were presenting on taught different topics, and one of the people in my group was presenting on the whole how internet, how these cultures were emerging online. And I was like, this is never gonna, in my head. I'm like, this is not going to happen. People are going to build communities on the internet. Uh, I, I just like didn't really understand. It just didn't click for me. <laughs> Boy, was <Surprise>. I wrong. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. I just wanted to share that fun fact. Oh, yeah. No, and that's, I mean, you know, I, I actually um, met my husband on a, uh, it was simultaneously published as a listserv and as a, a Usenet 
news group, and I can't remember precisely which one, but uh, it was for for people who did theater, uh, uh, stagecraft kinds of, of things. And my husband was building uh, 3D animation software uh, plugins for uh, 3D Studio, uh, which eventually became 3D Studio Max. And I don't know if it has the same name, but it's, you know, it's, it's Autodesk's kind of animation product or, or one of them. Autodesk bought everybody. Autodesk ate the entire industry pretty much. And, and that has led to certain areas of stagnation. But anyway, he posted something asking whether people would be interested in uh, a stage and lighting design, uh, basically mock-up tool where you would, you know, create that uh, you would, could position things and see what your stage would look like. And I emailed him and said, could you use something like that to reconstruct a theater building that doesn't exist anymore? And we got to talking and we got to talking some more and uh, about six months. I mean, you know, by talking, I mean, sending email back and forth and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, six months later, we met in person, fell in love, got engaged, and it only took us 16 years after that to get married. But that's an entirely different story. Uh, so, yeah, there were definitely communities online, you know, starting very early. Uh, and uh, uh, but they have evolved. And there have also been some, you know, some really interesting things like, you know, meetup.com is an online tool for arranging offline get-togethers. And it, it's actually a really good thing because it, it makes it easy to find stuff that's happening near you where you can, uh, you know, go out and uh, and meet people. I have a question about that, an online tool for offline things. I know one of the things in your history is, is dealing with events, events on websites. And I know you have experience with um, like the events calendar and, and other, other ways of dealing with events. Course creators and membership site people, sometimes it's about the stack. Like you might have a course, you might have consulting, you might have an event that you run. If people are going to get into events, as someone who, who's gotten into the nuances of events, what are some best practices? And before you go, I just want to kind of frame it in. Like <clears throat> there may be a consultant who's like, oh, I want to do an online course too. I, I should get a, a course plug-in. But then there's all these details that need to be considered with courses. Uh, and the, it, just, it just fractals out into some decisions that need to be made. If somebody's thinking like, yeah, I want to do the event through my website, what should they be thinking about? Well, if you're thinking about doing something like, you know, starting a meetup or having a conference or, you know, even teaching a, a, a one-off class somewhere. Yeah, there's a lot of background stuff that, you know, there, there are different bits of the technology that you have to, uh, that you have to put together. But uh, there is also just uh, needing to know something about what goes into creating a a course, and you know there are some of these uh, coaches and so on who are just like you know make money in your sleep with your online courses, and and the, it it they make it sound so easy, and it it isn't any more than you know writing a book is is an easy process. Um, that you have to do a lot of planning, and you may have to do you know go through various phases of of trial and error in terms of of what works. And, you know, as a graduate student and, and afterwards I taught in the classroom and 
sometimes had the opportunity to teach the same class more than once. And it was, you know, it's like, okay, this really didn't work very well last year. So I got to do something different about it this year, uh, you know, so that the the students are happier and, and we have a, you know, and they learn more and we have an overall better outcome. So, um, <clears throat> you know, there you're probably not going to get it perfect the first time around. And, you know, any with any kind of event, you have to figure out how you're going to get people to show up. You know, the, the publishing world talks about having a platform, which means, you know, is there an easy way for you to get people to know about, uh, you know, your product or service or event or whatever it is, so, you know, using things like meetup.com can help uh, and sometimes using uh, the sorts of services for, for courses where there's a, a marketplace and, you know, they get a share of the, the money in exchange for, uh, for hosting you there. Sometimes those things can be good in terms of uh, people finding out about you who would not, you know, who are not searching specifically for your course uh, or event, but are searching for that type of event. Uh, or searching in a, you know, meetup will say, well, you know, here are the meetups happening within 50 miles of you, you know, or here are all the meetups on this, you know, particular topic. And, uh, you know, you have to think about the, the, the value of things like that. And even if you want to host your course or your event by yourself, you're probably going to want to, you know, publish stuff about it. Uh, in another place. And so you have to find out, well, who do I want to have, you know, take this class or attend this event? And where do they hang out? And how do I reach them there so that they know about this? You know, it's it's teaching through Media Bistro. Uh, they already had, uh, you know, people who were accustomed to going there and taking classes, and they had some information about what classes people wanted. And, and so, uh, you know, I had, I just had to create the class, which was enough work, uh, you know, not to, to, to do so much marketing for it. But if you're doing it yourself on your own website, you have to, you know, create the content, you have to market it, uh, you know, you, you have to revise it, you have to either hire somebody to, to build out the technology for you or, or take the time to do that. And, you know, the, the students, for those not familiar with Media Bistro, it's, it's basically for journalists and, and writers. Uh, and they have, you know, various kinds of information and courses and job search and that kind of thing for people in that kind of a field. So my students there were frequently uh, journalists or aspiring journalists or, or professional writers of, of some kind. And I would say to them, uh, you know, and they were mostly completely new to WordPress. I would say to them, the hard part about building your website is creating the content. And they would say, think like, how can that be? I'm a writer. It's easy. Yeah, well, it, it's probably a little easier for you if you're a professional writer and if you've done copywriting and if you've done website copywriting for other people, uh, you know, you, you probably have a better sense of, of what's needed. But as somebody who's built quite a few websites now, uh, you know, the bottleneck is almost always in getting the content from the client, in, in especially if it's a new site. Uh, and, you know, so you're creating a course and you haven't had this course before. And so you need to, you know, you, you need to plan out your, you know, you write up your lesson plan and then you need to plan out what's in each lesson. And do you need to provide a handout for that lesson or are there going to be uh, assignments or are there going to be quizzes? Um, 
you know, and if so, what types of, of quizzes, what types of assignments, how are you? And, and those things, uh, it, to some degree, dictate what kind of product you use to offer your course. Uh, exactly. So I, just, I just want to jump in and say, uh, what, unfortunately, a lot of people get the tool and then they're like, okay, now I just need to go get some content and then I need to go get some people. But it's, it's really the other way around that's you, you, so you, much easier. You, you, yeah, get, you have you, a community, you put your content together, you get results for people with your methodology. And then you wrap it in technology. That's so much easier. Right. It's like, you know, first you need to, you know, you might not have to create every bit of your course, but you need to have a really clear idea of what's going to be in it. And I I used to do ghostwriting work for people who were publishing books. Um, And, you know, when you're writing a nonfiction book, which is most of my clients, because let's face it, nobody, a novelist cannot afford to hire ghostwriters. But, you know, you never write the book first. If it's a nonfiction book, you write a proposal and your proposal needs to include uh, your, you know, your outline, some sample chapters, some explanations about, you know, who you're going to mute here because train. Yeah, I'm just going to, while, while Sally's muted there, curriculum, like designing that, doing the outline, pitching the concept is, uh, I mean, that's the work of actually creating the content gets a lot easier when there's a strategy in place, when there's a path to follow. And you can always rearrange it later. <clears throat> in the book writing world, there's a tool like Scrivener that people use for organizing content, or at least that the big picture, and then you get into research phase and all this. Yeah, the, well, it's, I, yeah. I, I see that behind you, you have all these beautiful mind maps. Uh, and, this is the brainstorm phase. Right, and you know what I have used for um, planning a information architecture both for websites and for books is you know mind managers mind mapping tool uh and uh, because then you can rearrange stuff really easily and you can group it in different ways and see here is you know if we break it down by topic this is what it looks like and if we break it down by you know whatever else and, and you can see it all at once and i have found that really uh, really helpful, and and you can do stuff. You know, you can do it with software. You can do it with sticky notes. Uh, I was on the board of the Bay Area Consultants Network for a long time, and whenever we had uh, a strategic planning meeting, basically there would be a phase where everybody wrote down stuff on sticky notes. We put the sticky notes on the wall in different sections, and then we moved them around until we had a, a result. And that's it. You know, it's a quick and dirty way to do stuff with a group. Uh, to organize it by yourself, you know, you you have uh, more options. But yeah, you have to you have to plan what you're doing, and you have to think about what do I want to achieve with this? Because you know, creating a course is work. It is a huge metric shed load of work, and you are not going to be paid for it until after you are done with most of it. Uh, so uh, you know. <clears throat> Uh, you have to think about, okay, you know, what am I getting out of this? Is it going to bring me enough, you know, in, in money? How can I ensure that it will bring me enough in, in either direct income, uh, indirect income, because people take the course and then hire me, 
uh, you know, promotional value, whatever it is that you're you're trying to achieve, you need to be clear about what you're trying to achieve and how you are how you are going to make it happen, how you are going to measure it, and then everything you create needs to relate to that. There you there you go as a uh, as a consultant. And um, for those of you listening, check out Sally's website at wpfangirl.com. I was noticing on your um, on a, your how I work fit page. Uh, there's a, there's a comment. I am going to question your decisions. I always appreciate that when I'm talking to somebody, um, when they start asking like questions that are designed to uncover gaps of strategy or, um, assumptions that I may be making that this person who has a lot more experience in whatever than me is going to help reveal. So I I love it when someone's going to question, when somebody questions me, especially when they're in a consulting role, because that's the whole point. Can you, how do you work with clients? Can you elaborate on that piece right there? Sure. So, you know, I learned the hard way, which is pretty much the only way I learned anything, uh, that, you know, sometimes what a client asks you to build is not what they really need. Uh, It's not necessarily even what they thought they were asking you for. So, uh, you know, we do not speak the same language as our, our clients. I, I've lost track of the number of, of people who refer to your, your menu items as tabs. And, uh, eh, eh, you know, so it's like first you have to understand what they're saying and help them understand what you're saying. And, you know, if you can meet them on the side of what, uh, how they phrase it, it, really it will go better for you. It, it is more work. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody will say, oh, I, you know, I, I want a slider or I want this or I want that. And you have to, if you are a developer and you actually want a good outcome, you have to ask them why. Why do you want this? What is it going to achieve for your business? Because, you know, I saw it on X website and it was cool is not a good reason. How, could you speak to that a little bit? I've just noticed a lot of people get distracted by design and or, or flashy things and forget that the function of the website is usually to get new leads, close sales, connect people with your service or sell them, sell existing customers more things or whatever. Why do people get so focused on design? I, I suppose it's partly because uh, humans have such an enormous part of their brains dedicated to vision. So, you know, yeah. we, we notice what we see, we pay attention to it. And, uh, you know, I like looking at things that are cool and pretty as, as much as anybody does, but it is my job to make the website achieve something for my client. And, you know, uh, I, I am not like a $20 an hour developer on Upwork. Uh, so I need to be giving you something of actual value for, for what you're paying me. And that means coming back to the question of what is your goal for your business? Uh, and how can your website help you achieve that goal or those goals if there are, are multiple goals? And what's your you know, priority uh, on this? And you know, how will you know if it's successful? And when somebody wants something that, you know, we can make your website look good, but if the only purpose of this thing you want is bling, uh, 
and it's actually going to detract from achieving your goals, then I'm going to fight back with you on it. Or we're going to talk about, okay, what can we do that's also going to be visually interesting that will actually be more useful for you? So, you know, I have lost track of the amount of studies that have demonstrated that sliders are crappy for conversion. Now, there are places you'll still want sliders. You may, you know, and like, I want to show people a slideshow of images. Yeah, people may sit there and, and, you know, people may look at your images, especially if you've clearly said, like, this is a portfolio or this is a slideshow and people have gone there to to see that. But if you want somebody to click something, uh, then you're probably going to want a, a different sort of arrangement. And you also have to understand that, you know, our eyes follow movement. You know, I, I'm not quite as bad about that as the cat where, you know, something moves and suddenly, ping, you know, they're <laughs> absolutely riveted. Um, but if you've got a bunch of different stuff moving on a website, I don't know where to look. And if you even have one thing moving on the website, that's going to pull my eyes to it. So if that thing is not the most important thing I should be looking at, which, you know, and the thing I should be looking at is probably, you know, the button that, that takes me to a place I can give you money or, you know, an email sign-up form or however we start that process, uh, that's a design fail. Uh, so, uh, you know, we need to think about this and... Um, you know, that, that saying, oh, well, I, you know, I want my website to look like Apple. Oh, and do you have the marketing budget to put, you know, billboards up and, and all this kind of stuff so that everybody knows a lot about your product before they ever get to your website? No, you probably don't. So maybe you need a slightly different website or maybe you're selling something that's completely different from, you know, these very hot uh, consumer products and you need a, a different type of sale. Maybe you're selling to a different type of audience. And, and I've worked a couple of times with people who are engineers. And, you know, not only could they care less uh, what their website looks like if it has the right information on it, but a lot of the people they work with are not interested. They, they become suspicious when something is too glossy. Uh, and this would happen in academia sometimes, you know, if you dressed too well, they, they might think you weren't a, a serious scholar. Uh, if, you know, so you have to know something about, uh, you know, the target market. Who are you designing this for? And you are not your customer. I mean, sometimes you do sell to people in your own field. And then you have a better idea innately of, of, of what your uh, then what you, Then what you like is possibly relevant. Then, yes. Your preferences are possibly relevant. Right. But most of the time, your preferences are not all that relevant. I mean, you'll, you want to, you know, you have a brand identity and you want your website to reflect that. Uh, but you need to always keep coming back to what are we going to achieve? And, um, you, know, you know, I saw this and it was pretty, you know, the, the response is, is first, why? And then why? And then why? Uh, and, and if they can justify all that, then it's okay. It will cost this much money and add this much time uh, to your launch date. Is that still worth it to you? Sometimes it is. Very often, you know, it, it will cause people to, to think. And I would rather have that argument 
then build the thing they ask me for and have them be annoyed about it afterwards uh, and feel resentful that they paid me for something that, that isn't actually helping them get, you know, more customers or more visitors or, or more whatever. Uh, so uh, I, you know, I do push back and, and argue. Uh, and I think some of that does come from my academic background in terms of, well, you know, you were always having people critique your work. Uh, and that's okay. No, well, yeah, it's it, it it's it's okay, and it's expected. I I remember my thesis advisor saying, you know, the way to prove that you're a grown up as a scholar is to disagree with your dissertation advisor in print. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, we we are constitutionally incapable of agreeing with each other yeah. uh, because we feel like it would undermine our our, our credibility, and I, I think that's you know that's taken somewhat to extremes, but. It's important to have people push back. It's important, uh, you know, uh, it's a good idea as a developer, especially if you're releasing something to the public, to get a code review from another developer. Because there are inevitably things we're blind to. If you're an author writing a book, you want an editor who is, you know, not the person who was the writer, who is somebody who hasn't seen it before and will see those things that you have become blind to in the process of creating it. And, um, you know, so... We need to question our assumptions uh, in order to succeed. And, and that seems to be true for, for pretty much everybody uh, in any field. And it's definitely true in, in terms of building websites. Sometimes a thing is very trendy. You know, it's, design, it, it's, it's popular with designers. Uh, it's popular with clients often because it's popular with designers. So they've seen it a lot. And it may or may not be appropriate for their own website and, and what they're trying to do. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I frequently liken building a website to uh, building a car uh, or at the very least, you know, do, <clears throat> uh, commissioning a developer to, you know, to, to buying a car. And it's like, well, if what you need is a large capacity truck, with off-road capability because you live on a farm out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, it's a bad idea to buy a smart car. Yeah. Uh, but if what you need is something that you can park in a very congested uh, city area, you probably don't need an oversized pickup truck. Uh, so you, you have to think first about what you need uh, and then you know, you choose your, you choose your tool. And we have to be aware of that trap of, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Very well said. Well, Sally Getch, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sharing your consulting knowledge with us and, you know, getting into community building, event management, and uh, talking about events. That, that was, uh, that was super helpful. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out WPFangirl.com. Sally, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. It's been a great time. And Sally and I also uh, are regulars on the WP Tonic uh, Roundtable Show. That's a Friday's live streamed. Live at 8.30 a.m. Pacific. (laughs) Much later for me on the East Coast, but I'm glad you get up early for that. So uh, thank you, Sally, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us and I hope to do it again. I look forward to it.